James began the fourth chapter of his letter by revealing the source of all wars, quarrels, and conflicts. He made it very clear that they can all be traced back to the desires that are within us. Desires that become frustrated when someone or something keeps them from being fulfilled. If we don't get what we want when we want it, we have a tendency to turn our back on the Lord and his provision for us. We then turn elsewhere and take matters into our own hands using the world's methods to get what we want out of life. Doing so may work. We may be able to get what we want, but there's a big price to be paid for doing so. First of all, seeking to fulfill our desires at any cost inevitably leads us into conflicts, quarrels, and even wars. But even worse, our refusal to let God say no to our requests or to simply say, wait a while, is tantamount to rebellion against him and his will for our lives. Not only does that break his heart, it puts us into direct opposition to him, and that is not a good place to be. So when God says no or wait, we need to humble ourselves before him, and let God be God. To refuse to do so is, in fact, playing God. Well, James continues that thought in our text for today, pointing out a couple of other areas in which we like to play God. And the first one has to do with our neighbor. In James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? James says we must not speak against one another. Now, I don't think he's simply telling us to be nice to one another and say nice things about each other. He's saying we must not hurl harsh criticisms and insults and slanderous accusations against one another. And he said not to do it because if we speak against a brother, we have judged him, we have tried him in our mind, and have passed sentence upon him. Now, we may not like to hear this, hoping to dismiss our negative comments as simply blowing off steam, but they do fit with what James has already said about the tongue and the hellish fires it can ignite. What he says about our judging the law when we speak against a brother, however, does raise a question. What law is he talking about? 
No, speaking against a brother is not prohibited in the Ten Commandments. Nor is it stated as such in any of the other laws God has given us. However, speaking against a brother does violate what James referred to as the royal law back in chapter 2. A law Jesus referred to as the second in importance to the foremost commandment of all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A law God did give his people in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, speaking against your brother is not loving him as you love yourself. You wouldn't slander yourself. You wouldn't spread rumors about yourself. So speaking against a brother is disobeying the law of love. Furthermore, by disobeying the law, you've essentially declared that it does not apply to you. By judging your brother instead of loving him, you set yourself above the law. And in doing so, you not only become a lawbreaker, you become a judge of the law. You determine how it should be applied. James then takes it a step further, intimating that in judging the law, you've actually made yourself into the lawgiver. In other words, you've put yourself in God's place. And he makes that point by reminding us that there is only one lawgiver and judge, and we are not it. So to set ourselves up as judge and lawgiver is to play God. Now, I think we all realize the trouble we'd get into if we impersonated an officer of the law. I don't even want to think about the penalty for impersonating the supreme lawgiver and judge. And if that doesn't make us think twice about speaking against or judging someone, I don't know what will. Now, having said that, I do have to add that that does not mean we are to never make a judgment. In John 7, 24, Jesus said we are to judge with righteous judgment. And in Galatians 6, 1, Paul makes it clear that we are to try to restore a brother caught in sin. To do so requires at least some degree of discernment of judgment. We have to ascertain whether or not our brother is in need of restoration. So at times we must examine one another's behavior. And if we discover an obvious violation of the expressed will of God in our brother's life, love demands that we call it to his attention. We can't close our eyes to a brother's sin or the danger it puts him in. If we saw someone about to be hit by a truck, love would demand that we warn them and try to prevent it. So some judgment is required of us. We can't ignore the need to practice righteous judgment, and we can't avoid making any judgments with a shrug of the shoulders and a flippant, judge not that you be not judged. However, there are indeed some judgments we can never make. Obviously, we cannot pass final judgment on anyone. We condemn no one. Now, a few of us 
would presume to have that authority, even though I have heard quite a few tell God who should be damned. A second thing we can never really do is accurately judge someone's motives. Paul made that clear in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, or, or 4, 5. He says, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. You know, motives cannot be judged until all the facts are in. And that will not happen until Jesus returns and discloses the motives of the heart. So yes, we are expected, even required, to make some judgments pertaining to one another's behaviors. And if we see a behavior in a brother that violates the expressed will of God, we must make that judgment known. But what James is forbidding is a harsh, critical, condemning spirit that writes people off before all the facts are in. And Paul reminds us that all the facts won't be in until the Lord returns. That's why there's only one who can condemn, and that's the Lord. If we condemn someone, pass judgment on them by speaking against them, we are playing God. And that's not going to set well with the one who is able to save as well as to condemn and destroy. James then goes on to deal with another area in which we tend to play God, and that is the future. Verses 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. Some years ago at a minister's meeting, a life insurance salesman spoke on the theological considerations of planning for the future. He pointed out that Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. Well, actually, what Jesus said is better translated, don't be anxious about tomorrow. But for the sake of his presentation, we let it ride. He then noted that Paul said, if we don't provide for our own, we are worse than infidels. We are worse than unbelievers. The point he was making is it is sometimes difficult to balance planning for the future with trusting God for tomorrow. I think most of us have accepted the fact that responsibility demands some planning for tomorrow. But in reality, it is presumptuous to even assume there will be a tomorrow, at least for us. James reminds us we're like a vapor on this earth that appears for a little while and then disappears. Now, obviously, he's not saying that when we're gone, that's all there is. He's addressing not eternal realities here, just our walk here on earth. He's merely addressing our tendency to think our life here on earth will continue indefinitely. 
and that all of our grand plans for the future will come true. Now, through Christ, we do have eternal guarantees, but there are few guarantees about tomorrow. I guess that means we better not put off until tomorrow what we should do today. And even more importantly, we should never presume to have control over tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So it's foolish to say with certainty what we're going to do. Only God knows what the future holds. So we better make sure all of our plans are conditional to his will. To do otherwise is asking for frustration and failure and even worse, to do so is to play God. So how do we plan for the future without playing God? The Apostle Paul gave us a couple of examples in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4.19, he wrote, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And in 1 Corinthians 16.7, he wrote, I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. James says we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. Now, that's got to be more than a slogan. It can't be a casual, ah, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. It must be a way of life. The total surrender of his lordship over us and over our plans. To plan without recognizing the sovereignty of God is foolish. But more than that, it's sinful. Verses 16 and 17. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him... It is sin. To declare what you're going to do is to play God. And to play God is the ultimate act of arrogance. James makes it clear that such arrogance, such boasting, is in fact evil. That an arrogant spirit that leaves God out of our plans or our judgments is sinful. So it's not just stupid to go through life as if you were the master of your destiny. It is sin. He is God and I am not. It's probably something we should say to ourselves on a regular basis. In fact, I want you to say it with me so we get used to hearing it, okay? He is God, and I am not. Let's say it again. He is God, and I am not. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. James then links arrogant boasting to something no one likes to think about, the sin of omission. The fact that we can sin not only by what we do, but by what we don't do. You know, sins of omission tend to frighten us. 
We worry, what haven't I done? What haven't I done? It is scary. And knowing that the things we don't do can be just as sinful as the things we do should bring us to our knees, to knees in repentance and to knees in gratitude for his amazing grace and forgiveness. Again, some years ago at a minister's meeting, we had an evangelist tell us that we needed to teach our people that before they go to bed at night, they need to, to list all the sins of the day and confess them. And then confess and ask for forgiveness for the things they can't remember. And if they didn't do it and they died during the night, they'd go to hell. I was blown away. He did not understand grace. Did not understand grace. We are continually cleansed by the blood of Christ if we're trusting him. We are told to confess our sin. That keeps us keenly aware that we need someone to forgive us. But if we are kept aware of the fact that God is the one who forgives us, we don't have to worry about missing a prayer or missing a sin. God loves us. His grace is greater than our sin. We thank him for that. But if we forget who he is, and if we start putting ourselves in the place of God, and if our sin of omission is leaving God out of our plans and out of our opinions, we're in a bad way. Now, playing God is serious business. It's a sin that will condemn us eternally. If we don't give it up, if we think or act as if we are God, we won't look to anyone else to save us. We'll assume we can save ourselves. And to think you can save yourself because of who you are or by your own good works is to, in fact, condemn yourself. So don't play God. He is God, and I am not. So how do you know? How do you know if you're playing God? Well, James gives us two very simple tests. Are you speaking against your brother? Are you judging him instead of loving him? And are you making your plans for the future as if you were in control of them? If you are, you are playing God. And the only way to stop it is to surrender your all to him. Surrender to him the eternal judgment of your brother and the judgment of his motives. And surrender to him your plans for tomorrow. Let's not play God. He is God, and I am not. Let's surrender to his lordship over us. Let's stand.